0: This. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reimagining Work from Within. My name is Nikki, and I'm a partner at Within based in our UK and Europe market. And today I have the pleasure to be speaking with James Leavesley, CEO of Torchbox. Torchbox has been a client of ours, and I'm really excited to celebrate our work together through this podcast. James, Hello.
1: Hello, Nikki. Nice to see you again. Nice to
0: see you too. How are you doing?
1: Good. Um, Just before off off air, we were just talking about the run run up to Christmas and getting all our agency Christmas cards in line and campaigns. So yeah, busy as ever.
0: Busy as ever. Yeah. And I heard a little fun thing around you creating a give or something with everybody looking at the camera, something around your values. That sounds really fun.
1: Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah, a lot of what we're doing at the moment is with with our values. So, yeah, we've got a values gift that we can share, which we've got ready to share on LinkedIn and other social platforms. All slightly crazily waving, (laughs) but it does the job.
0: I love it. I'm looking forward to seeing it and seeing what inspiration we can draw from that. But maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and about Torchbox just to get us going.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm James. You said CEO at Torchbox. I started my career sort of on the client account side and then spent about 12 years in London agencies working in sort of big comms groups like WPP and sort of big tech arms like NTT and helping them integrate. I I started my life at a smaller agency and helping them integrate then into the whole the the, the sort of wider ecosystem that you tend to find at these sort of wider comms networks and then about five years ago I started uh, at Torchbox as ops director, and then in that five years, I sort of moved up to CEO and just a bit of background on Torchbox. So Torchbox is an agency that designs and builds and markets digital products for not profit sector. And we'll move on to this later, but we're here because we empower positive change makers. Nice. <laughs> and, and, and I joined when we were going, about to go through what's called employee ownership. So we, we became an employee owned trust. So I started, I suppose, my life at Torchbox to try and help them because I'd, I've got a good background in how agencies work in sort of moving them into that into that field of employee ownership, which is quite different from the sort of media network that I'd been used to. But still, there's some interesting sort of. Bits there.
0: Yeah, so maybe tell us a little bit about that difference. How is that different? Because I think we're coming across more and more organizations that are going that direction in terms of employee ownership. Like you're one of a few of our clients that have been through that process. Tell us a little bit more.
1: Yeah, so I'll start from the beginning. So when I started at well I started with Torchbox because slightly randomly my wife's running club one of the members worked at Torchbox oh, and I was at a Christmas dinner. And uh they'd meant you know they'd, we were talking about what I did, and I'd said that I'd been uh, working in London, and they'd said, "Oh you know they worked at Torchbox, is great agency, regional agency, and what i what I was interested in was that they were sort of getting to that level sort of sixty plus employees, which is tends to be when agencies start to think about what's their next step mm-hmm. and what's their future. So I was sort of interested in thinking on oh, maybe they're mo- looking to you know to sell out or earn, uh, earn out to a bigger network or what would happen. So I met with Tom Ollie. Because at the time they were looking for an ops director yeah. and was pleasantly surprised to hear that they were that they were looking to go down a different route. They hadn't started the process at that point, but they sort of said, what we want to do is rather than become part of a much bigger group, we would become an employee-owned trust. And with that, I suppose there's quite a lot of differences. So if you become part of a group, what normally happens is that thereafter a very small subset of you, like you work with a couple of clients that they really want to work with or they have a particular technology or creative flair that you can go after. And then they wrap their hands around the rest of it. So if you're not very good at finance or HR or whatever, then they sort of deal with that things. And it means that the sort of, the creative part can blossom, but then the the media network can take over the rest of it. Whereas I suppose with an employee-owned trust, the the benefit of that is it sort of keeps the culture of the agency together. But with that, you then have to sort of build up all parts of the business, rather than just focusing on the one thing that you might be very good at.
0: Yeah, and it's super interesting to hear that. Like for, for those of you listening, Tom and Ollie are um, the founders of Torchbox, and they've been huge huge champions of this. Hey, like they've been massively um, on board with this change. And I, when I think about what Torchbox is all about, and where like from the beginnings of when Tom and Ollie started this organization, which you can share a bit more about, but then. Employee ownership really suits that very nicely, if you think about it, rather than selling yep. out to a bigger group or cashing out in any other way. I feel like like it, it's really part of, of who you are and it's a natural fit for you to have gone down that route.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the fact that particularly because we work for not-for-profits we didn't want to suddenly be working for banks exactly. or oil exactly. companies so keeping that culture and, that's, and our people didn't want that and you know obviously obviously Ollie and Tom had been working at the and building up Torchbox at the time for about 18 years so they were really indebted and I think all founders are and I think the interesting thing is when you start to talk to people about employee ownership the initial thought is that you might lose out commercially but actually you know there's still a good earnout route for that the the founders, they you know, they still do well out of it. So there's there's sort of pros on both sides. So so I think it's you know everyone's a winner.
0: Everyone's a winner. Yeah, and I I love that because throughout the work together, and we'll come to that in in a moment, but that the the way you are owned by your employees has been such a big driver throughout all the all the work that we've done together, and always like bringing in that question, yeah. you know, what does this mean for employee ownership, or how might employee ownership change this? which was a very inspiring way of of doing our work together i found yeah you came to us at the, around the beginning of last year what inspired you to go and look for an agency like ourselves to do a bit of work on your culture what was the kind of problem that you were looking yeah. to solve there
1: okay i think well just to give the listeners a bit of more background to the employee ownership trust the, the way that it yeah. works is you set a date at the start and you say right okay we are we want to Essentially, the company is put into trust, so it's not owned by its employees, they don't have shares individually, it's put into a trust for its employees. And then what we do over a number of years is we bought back the company from the founders and the directors through the profits that we made out of Torchbox as an agency. So that tends to take, we were hoping to do it in five years. We did pretty well and did it in three, which was fantastic, it meant that we moved forward. And then at that, there's a point where you hit what's called financial freedom, which is essentially where you pay, you've paid off all your debts to your original directors. And you're then in a position where any new profit you make, you can either, you know, put it back into the company to invest either in training or buying another company, or you can give it out in a profit share or essentially do whatever you want to do with it, which is fantastic. So we got to that point in the summer of 2022. So just over a year ago, and it is a, you know, a, a moment of excellence. We had a big festival in, we, one of our offices is, is in a countryside in Oxfordshire. So we have like land with deer and, you know, so in the summer, it's a, you know, in the winter now, it's not quite so good. So we had all 120 or so what we ever were at the time to the festival. And it was a really great moment when everyone really felt part of the, this sort of ownership and becoming co-owners. I suppose what happens then, it's a bit like, I don't know, winning the Premiership or the Super Bowl or whatever. You sort of hit that goal. Yeah, and
0: you called it Freedom Day, I believe, hey? That moment of celebration. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then you hit that and I suppose you feel like, oh, what's next? And I think that's where we, you know, why we we called on within people because we were already a really good company. You know, it wasn't like we were turning a bad company into a good company. We wanted to make a good company, really excellent, and I think we got to that point where we felt we were purpose-led, but maybe as we'd grown, maybe that wasn't so obvious to everyone. We now got, you know, we had academy students where we're bringing in sort of six people from um, different backgrounds every year that obviously had a different understanding. We'd grown to over 130 people, and you know, at the start we used to do just UK charities, and then we moved to the public sector, and then you know. 30, 40% 30, 40% of our revenue comes from the US, and we moved into higher education and Wagtail, our open source content management system, you know, had sort of taken off. So there's all these different facets of us. And I felt like that we were at that point where what we used to say is digital for good, which is still holds true, that, that meaning was different for different people within Torchbox. And you could ask 10 different people in Torchbox and they'd all give you a slightly different answer to what that is. So which is still great, but we wanted to make sure we really wanted to hone that and think about what does that actually mean to people? And can we be sure that now we've hit this sort of freedom freedom moment, how do we make sure that everyone's still behind what we want to do and where we want to move forward? Because there's a big cultural change in a company that's got one or two founders that are pushing the way forward and actually wanting to bring out people from within and making sure that they understand where we're going and how to connect with us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And really helping the employees feel that sense of ownership, right? Because that is that kind of cultural change. Yeah, when we started speaking, it was interesting because there was a bit of complexity at hand, I think. You had grown quite significantly. You're still growing significantly. And there is like different propositions that sit under... Under the name Torchbox, right, there's different strands of products and services that you offer to the world. And it was like, okay, now knowing that we have the different offerings in our business, knowing that we've become employee-owned and we've hit that freedom moment, knowing that we've had employees that've been here with us for a long time, but also there's people joined recently and we're continuing to grow and we're adding more people in the mix. How do we glue that all together and create that understanding for everyone?
1: And I think we're sort of still finding our way in that a little bit because, you know, in terms of leadership of Torchbox, there's sort of a democratic side of yeah. it, but there's also wanting to make sure we're still making quick decisions about things. So, you know, that's, that part is still quite new to us. And we wanted to have that sort of framework so that as we broadened out our leadership teams across, as you say, these different propositions which sit within Torchbox, they had a filter for being able to say, OK, this is how we will take things forward. These are the ideas that we'll take forward because it matches our vision and our values and this type of thing. So I think that's why. And I and you know, like all good agencies, they all go through the point of thinking, oh, we can do it ourselves, yeah. we can run a workshop, <laughs> get our uh out and our belt tips, and think 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 for a bit about how to do this. But I think, but really, we needed someone that was a specialist that knew had worked with other different companies. We talked to a few different companies like yourselves, but they weren't probably quite so culture focused, which I think was one of the differentiators from within people. And it just felt like we didn't we couldn't do this in it was such a momentous change in Torchbox. We couldn't do it on our own. You know, if it had been just a tweak, then that would have been different. But I think because of we were changing the structure of Torchbox, it felt like it was the right time to to look to look wider.
0: Mm, yeah. Thank you for for sharing that. And we're super excited that you chose to work with us. In terms of the work, we then obviously went on a bit of a journey to kind of really uncover some of these pieces that already exist in your culture. And like you said, it was not about changing something that was bad or needed an, an overhaul. It was really like, how do we articulate what already lives in our organization? How do we hone it as as using your words around this, like we we know we're purposeful, but how do we hone it in such a way? How do we articulate it in such a way that more and more people can can feel inspired by that and they see and connect meaning um into it. So. I remember that one of the first things that we did was coming together to not just start with your purpose, but actually we started with your vision for the future and really look at, hey, like Torchbox in three to four years' time, what might that look like? How was that experience for you? Like what, if you think back now, because this is over over six months ago now, like what what is still there for you yeah. thinking about that experience?
1: I suppose the first thing is, how was it for you, Nikki? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> we would always have, New people that we'd sort of suggest. Oh, couldn't we have these? Because I think that was the thing, particularly in that point. It was like we wanted to try and get the right group of people. We wanted to sort of have the right group of people that wasn't too wide, but we wanted to encompass everyone's use. That that was something that I remember. That I think we took some time to decide on that right group was the first thing. The second one was you know how much we were looking back in the past to be points of reference for the future, and that sort of, although as we said, Torchbox is changing and always will do. And looking back at the core of why we began was, I think, was a really important point for setting that vision. And then also thinking about wanting to make sure that we set a vision that all the different parts of Torchbox could get behind, rather than just setting a small part that for we just needed to make sure it encompassed and gave people enough space within those separate propositions that they could then set up their own strategic objectives that would then ladder up to that wider vision. And I suppose stepping out of our day-to-day is sometimes difficult on that, and particularly having the right mix of people across those different propositions and making sure that we didn't have too many louder voices in one part. Yes. So, yeah. But what I remember is that actually I was more worried about that than I needed to be. When we had that day, it felt like people quite quickly stepped out of what they want to do for their proposition and more into what does it mean to torchbox and i think once you know something that we've we've sort of seen throughout our eot journey is that people do actually become owners quite quickly if they're focused on on a message and what what we want to try and achieve and i think when we did that with the vision people quickly sort of stepped about thinking about digital marketing or human centered design, they thought about what does Torchbox want? Where does Torchbox want to go? Where do we wanna take not for profits in the future? So I think that was that was hopefully. But I, I know Nikki, you we definitely Gave you some headaches a (sighs) lot. No, well, you
0: gave some challenges because I think that, and the reason for that is that you have people that truly care about your organization. And I think that if you ask me what stood out to me, it's it's that, like the genuine care for people for, for your organization and where it's going and their job within it, right? And everybody wants to do like great work and they really see Torchbox as an organization to be able to do meaningful work. And that to me was really inspiring. And I hope that we managed for people to really have that environment where they could step out of their day-to-day and connect to Torchbox as a whole, rather than stay maybe in their individual teams or their individual propositions. I think what you've come up with ultimately definitely speaks to Torchbox as the organization. And I know you've been going through the process of like, what does this mean for different strategies, for different strands of the business? And I'm, I'm really hoping that the different propositions find it useful to work with what we've created at the Torchbox le- level to to translate it into what it might mean for, for their specific teams and their specific work. But I think the contribution was very rich from many different people around the organization. I, I know there was a bit of nervousness around how many people should we bring together? How big can the group be? But... It actually worked really well, and everyone that contributed or that was there, they brought something to the table and I think because of that, you have the output that you have in your vision and I'm hoping that that is felt now you're trying to get it into the strategic place
1: yeah, definitely. I think that you know we' we've, we've been doing a lot of work on our strategic objectives for each of the propositions, and that's you know they're laddering those up to you know one of the vision pillars. And how that works with the values and those types of things. So I think that's really working well, and it's a really good filter for them to think about what are the things that we should focus on rather than the others if if they are or aren't going to help go sort of move towards our vision.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I ju- I just something else like that. I'm I'm just thinking of now is something that we try to like balance out. I felt around. Obviously, you work with charities, not for profits, like the for good side, balancing that with actually, hey, we're also a, we are a commercial business. And how do we hold both of those things, right? How can they coexist yes. alongside each other? And I thought there was really proper debate in, in the room I felt at times, like making sure that the pendulum wouldn't swing one way, too much one way or the other. What do you remember from, from those conversations? Because I feel, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah I,
1: I, it's a difficult one. And, and that's always been a strand that sort of ran throughout the torchbox. One of the reasons why, Torchbox sort of brought me along is because to go through employee ownership, you have to be making good profits because you've got to pay those debts back. So, one of those first challenges in that first year was to increase that slightly so that we could pay that back. And I think the thing that is always strong within me is that I feel like what's important to clients is is value. It's not necessarily doing things at a cut price, it's about bringing value along. And particularly in a service led industry, and and also even more so it's an even easier story in a way for an employee-owned company that's gone through financial freedom is you know, any money that we make, we give back to our team. So it's beneficial to everyone that we get that right because we want to get the right people, we want to get the best people. And I, I think that especially when you're working with large not for profits, they need as good talent as any company and have the best ideas that come along. And the only way we can do that. You know, it is still a world. People are still got to pay their mortgages. They're still got to do other things. You've got to have the right people, and and so us being a successful commercial business helps everyone, and means that we are actually in the long run a more valuable partner to our to our clients. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I think that was a message that really landed for people in the room, like people that have might previously been more on the like, hey, but like we're all about, you know helping not-for-profits, why do we have s- such commercial drivers in, in our own business? I think they really understood the value of that because you and Ollie yeah. and Tom were able to speak that up meaningfully and people also understanding that employee ownership wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for that.
1: The one thing that I think that we also managed to focus around is this sort of growth angle and how much you need. So I think what we did realise is that people didn't necessarily want us to grow at a million yeah. miles an hour. So, you know, you see product companies going 100 200% in a year. And I think everyone definitely valued being a successful company. And we obviously all understand that you need to have some growth because that helps with people's own careers and making sure that we can move into different areas. But we don't want growth for growth's sake, which means that then it affects the culture of Torchbox affects people you know you're bringing in people in new, and it's like oh i've got to train another 100 people today so i think that it did make us think about oh what is the right level of growth and let's make sure that we don't go too fast and and and, and risk the sort of other side of Torchbox which has made it so successful over the years.
0: Yeah absolutely and I remember us having conversations to align around what does growth actually mean here right and how can it be purposeful so how can we look at growth as not just being the numbers that that need to be driven but also around how do we keep growing and building on our culture to be able to serve our clients and have the best impact possible. And when you start to look at all these things holistically, when it becomes a rich picture rather than just like growth for growth's sake, which was what your people were yeah. challenging very much. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, My background is much more about, you know, biggering and, yeah. you know, bigger percentages. Mm-hmm. And so moving away from that and realizing, oh, maybe that's not the right thing you know was a a bit of a learning thing for me as well okay
0: that is really interesting like and how is that feeling now because I I recognize that like we we have built probably our careers in London it's like it's the more it's the bigger it's the better right that's what we're sort of used to and like with this different approach we're sort of kicking against that so yeah how has that been for you how is that sitting with you now
1: yeah I think like it it's something that I've been aware of for quite a few years but I definitely think recently it's sort of it's just focused my mind about having that balance ac- across the company and not being always focused on You know, people don't just want growth. They also want other things. And actually, for me personally as well, that's much, it's much of a nicer existence where you're thinking about the other elements rather than just, will this mean that we grow by 5% more than we did the year before sort of thing. So obviously, as we said, it's the commercial aspects are really important. And obviously we knew about the others, but it's those marginal gains on all sides. You're trying to make all the time and making sure you balance those marginal gains rather than just going for one thing over the other.
0: Yeah. Great. Thank you for for sharing a bit more around that. Okay, so we talked about your vision. We talked about a little bit around how that how the different your different propositions are finding themselves in in that through their own strategic goal setting and KPIs. Then we looked at purpose and we looked at values. And for purpose, I really remember Ollie championing this as being one of the founders. You know. Why we exist in the world is extremely important to all of you, but as a founder, there is something in there. He started the business at some point for a reason, but then we obviously were looking to hone it and evolve it, to articulate it in such a way that people in the business now, but also other people joining you can find themselves in that purpose. And you mentioned it earlier already. So where did we land on as your purpose statement?
1: (laughs) Empowering positive change. But yeah, I thought that was really good. I think one of the things I was nervous about with both the values is, is they were all pretty good. Yeah. You know, sort of our why, which was really digital for good, was, is it quite a nice saying, especially you know, now that tech for good has become more popularized. And our values were also pretty strong. So I think that for me, I was nervous about, are we actually going to get better than that? And I think one of the things that we realized was that although digital for, for good was good, wasn't necessarily quite the right for the context for our wider proposition, propositions I should say, and again our values were pretty good, but they didn't have the sort of things underneath that that could help people ladder up to those. So I think they're the bits that w- w- where we've really benefited with the, the new the new updates. But again, it wasn't about a massive change. It was just making sure that they were slightly more tweaked and home to what Torchbox is now. And because one of the big things that's changed at Torchbox is that we used to be You know, people just in the UK and now we're global. We're across, I don't know, 14 different countries. We've got people working on different time zones. We've got clients in different areas and like any business post COVID, the world's changed and everyone's working remotely and it's so much harder to connect with our people and because we're a creative service agency, people work best when they know each other and they feel that sort of connection. And I feel like on the values side. Making sure that we were still strong within that and didn't become too tame and generic yeah. is really important for a company. And I would say that it's important for us in particular, but I think really it's important for everyone that they, they have something that they stand by and some values that they think that oh, these are really important to us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I agree. Your values were already really speaking to how you all work together what is important to you how you connect with one another I think we just evolved them a little bit to really you know make them be more behavioral I say I would say like and make them more actionable so you really can sort of start to think like okay if our vision which we landed on we're setting a new standard for high impact responsible business if our vision is all about that like kind of what behaviors do need to be in our values to really help drive that forward. Mm -hmm. And it was a really fun exercise, actually, to take what you already had, which was great, and kind of go, hey, how do we streamline that? How do we tweak that? How do we sharpen it up, really? So it becomes super clear for people what is expected when it comes to our values and so that they can really step into the behaviors. And I think, on the whole, I think we saw around... Did we see around 45, 50 people as part of this entire kind of process? Right. And a lot of people had input into the values and people were super passionate about it. So it's nice to see that it's, yeah, it's a, it it was an evolution. It wasn't a reinventing of the wheel by any stretch of the imagination, I don't think.
1: Yeah. And I think in particular, it, it, this sort of, the the process was just as important as a destination and getting people involved in that because we're obviously going through this. Ownership journey, as everyone becoming co-owners, is them feeling part of that, particularly on the values section. That process of them feeling engaged and getting engaged and putting their thoughts forward and making sure that now they can feel like there's something that they've developed is really helped on the ownership journey as well as the, the actual outcome. So that, that part and getting, you know, as you said, over 50 people involved in that was obviously difficult for, for, for you, Nicky. And there was lots of workshops and we went through lots of different iterations. But, you know, the outcome I thought was fantastic. It was almost towards the end where it was right at the end where it changed from people were still a bit like, oh, I quite like the old values. And then right at the end, in the last couple of sessions, they really changed to thinking, oh, no, these are really good, these new ones. And from that, we've done, we've done lots more work on our onboarding process and building them into that. And I think that's, you know, really helped.
0: Yeah, that is really great to hear. And like we love to work like this. I feel the work is all the richer if you allow more voices in the process. And especially when you work with values, that's the, the a perfect opportunity to really hear from people. And yes, I remember like it was like okay, yeah, the old values are pretty good. I think when we started to unpack how people might use them in the business and how we embed them in places like onboarding in places like how we might give each other feedback people started to understand that having the the added clarity that we're putting in there was going to be helpful for them for those of you listening james tell us a little bit about your values
1: so we've got four values spread the joy raise the bar lead the change and explore the unknown and i think one of the things about those four values is i i don't feel like they're generic I really feel like, you know, I can really feel them. And we talked earlier about people wearing the T-shirts and everyone. So we've, we've obviously designed T-shirts and sent them out to our new starters and our employees. They all got to choose which one they felt the most close to. And there's lots of different people. We thought, oh, would they all go for one or the other? But actually, we've got a really good cross-subsection sub, of them. And, you know, it really feels like when people join, they get behind those values. You know, I, I do a, a sort of onboarding session where we talk about, the overall vision, purpose, and values. And particularly with our academy team, who, you know, they're coming into, some of them have obviously worked before, but they're coming into a very new sector in digital. Yep. They might have some background, but, you know, them coming along and it's a really easy way to connect with them straight away. And they can really feel that come through rather than me just talk about, you know, more business focused stuff. So it's really it's, it's really helped help with that. Yeah.
0: And I love how you took it like as an opportunity when you were working towards introducing them into the business the new values and the vision and the purpose right like as an opportunity to you know have something fun around it and do something meaningful like and and like ask people what resonated most with them and get them to pick a t-shirt like I remember when you guys shared that idea with us and the kind of website through which they could order and the design around it and I just love how your team as soon as it was known that these were signed off and they just ran with it and I think that's just amazing when people get so excited you know to just then take it to the next level which is really fun
1: we actually had so so we we'd said originally we'd do one t-shirt and then everyone was like can we buy a second (laughs) we're like so we had loads of people asking for a second so we actually gave a second one away and i'm sure i think everyone's you know, really hankering
0: after them. So yeah. Yeah. good. It will be interesting to see, like in a year's time, which one has been most ordered, or what's the across the board, or when new <laughs> joiners join, which one do they gravitate towards? You know, like what's the sentiment there? You spoke. You you touched on onboarding. Like it's one place where you're you're looking to bring the values to life and really give a great introduction to them. What other areas are you looking to embed the values or purpose and vision? But how are you? kind of, you know, yeah. weaving it through the business.
1: So I think if we start with values, in particular in our review periods, we always have had part of that, but we're definitely embedding that more within our review periods to make sure that when we're thinking about people hitting their objectives, but are they also embodying our values? And also we have a good news channel where when things happen, we talk about how, what's what's gone well, whether that's personal or business or great work. And what we found is lots of people are sort of linking that to to values as well. And we've got our little, some little value emojis that everyone sort of pins to those. And it's really good to see that sort of coming through. And that's sort of like natural way of, because we can, we can try and put these different ideas within processes, but actually seeing that sort of naturally come through from the team, I think is even more powerful. So the fact that they sort of run with those, but yeah, so we've got it quite embedded in, in the review process onboarding. And then I suppose the vision and the purpose, particularly, in when we're talking about either strategic objectives or anything new that we want to do within Torchbox. So, as an example, we're looking at some changes to our content manage- management system Wagtail and bringing in some AI features. And again, you know, we're focusing that towards explore the unknown, and it means that we're not just thinking about it from a how can we bring cool new tech into Wagtail, but also how can we train people in those different ways and bring that together. So, you know, we we sort of try and link those through all the time. And it's mm, just lovely. It's just great for our leadership teams to sort of hold on to if they if they need something to think about what is the best idea that they can take forward.
0: Yeah, that's a great way like to actually just work with them, right? In in the more in the day to day. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really great. Just building on your last um, comment around um, leadership and how they can hold on to them, you know, like in terms of how they might lead their teams. What do you see is required in, in leadership at Torchbox or in general? What needs to shift? Because I can imagine now you have you want to you want to bring obviously purpose, vision, and values to the fore in the way you do things, but also in terms of employee ownership. What kind of changes have you noticed or what changes do you feel are required to really make the most of all this work?
1: Yeah, I think the big change when you become employee-owned is the idea of moving from founder-led to employee-led. And I think that any bigger business goes through that because as a, a company ages the fans aren't necessarily quite as connected to the work. And as you get into different areas, you can't have one or two people. But I suppose in an employee-owned business, that happens a lot quicker. So we might have been able to get to two, 300 people before that became a problem. But when you're employee-owned, you're not going to get that vision from a different network. It has to come within Torchbox. And as a CEO of Torchbox, I'm more of a guardian of how Torchbox thrives and moves forward. So we need to make sure that People are coming through with the right ideas. So, I think that's the biggest change that we've made recently is really trying to think about how succession is the really key important part within Torchwood. What happens if we bring in a new proposition? Who's going to lead that? How are we going to make sure we're getting the right ideas through? And in digital, in particular, right now, particularly, it's even more important that we're getting those ideas Mm. sort of filter through. And it means that the leadership, you need a situational leadership i suppose there's lots of different types of leadership that's needed in that and we have different ways of thinking about things so at a trust level we are quite democratic we need to make sure that we're thinking about all our people and what's good about the the purpose vision and values it gives something for them to really say is because the board so that's Tom Ollie and I still run the company day to day so we make the decisions but we meet quarterly with our trust which is an employee led trust so there's five people on that Trust, and they have to sort of say, "Are we running Torchbox for the good of our people?" And that purpose, vision, and values is a really good way of good filter for saying, "Yes, they are," or "No, they're not." So I suppose that that's part. Yeah. We also have a uh, an advisory board, an advisory council, which is because one of the things that I suppose you're struggling with within an employee ownership in a in a fast moving sector yeah. is that you want to bring some sort of democracy in, but you still need to move fast. You can't not make changes. So. We've brought those. We've brought in this advisory council to to be a way of bringing lots of different people's ideas within to certain certain areas. And I I suppose one good example of where we've been more democratic in our thinking is back in um, COVID. In I don't know whether everyone, all your listeners, will be aware of this, but in the in the UK, we had there was this thing called a furlough scheme where when companies were doing so well, we could furlough people, and then we'd get money from the government to pay for that that time and we like many other companies used that scheme because you know we weren't sure what was going to happen and how long COVID was going to last but when we came to the end of it and when we came to that end of that financial year we'd actually done still pretty well so we were thinking about oh maybe we should pay back our money to the mm. government which was not a small amount of money it was tens of thousands of pounds over over that period of time and we that was an example of where we actually went out and asked our people, right, what do you think we should do? We could either keep this, and that could mean that your profit share is slightly bigger for this year, or we could give it back to the government because we feel like there's people that might use this in a better way, or we've, we're fortunate in that things have gone well. So that's where we would go out to a wider group of people and say, is this the right thing to do? Because that is where ownership you know, yeah. comes. But then on a day-to-day piece where we were thinking about investing in the business, that might be a smaller subset of people that are, are bringing that through. We still need to be directional in how we, you know, drive the business forward. We're not going to expect other people to think of X, Y, Z. So I think that's that's how there's different types of structures that we need to use across a employee-owned company. Yeah,
0: it's fine. I think it's finding that right balance, right? How much autonomy and how much decision making are you going to give to your people versus like what are the things that actually as the you know, the board of the organization, we still need to, I really hear an accountability piece in there, which I love what you sort of highlighted, right, like that your employee ownership, like your EOT, your trust, you know, that you meet with on a regular basis, that they're kind of going, hey, how are these guys actually running this organization is it in line with our purpose is it in line with our values there is a, there is an accountability piece there right there is a group of people here that can hold you to account to the the way you run yeah. the business which is really interesting right because you don't have that in 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 each organization in that way yeah the, the accountability comes yes. often from your manager or from a leadership team but like having that kind of explicit two way accountability is really quite interesting
1: yeah, and you know, like any agency, there's always times when we're very busy and not quite so busy, and one of the things that we're always very focused on, and, and I think that accountability brings, is making sure that we balance that sort of work life balance and we don't overwork people. And the reality is, in the long term, that makes Torchbox better because we bring in better people because we've got a better culture, we get better glass reviews or whatever. But in the short term, that can be quite a difficult thing when we're saying, should we go ahead with this? opportunity or not and I think that having that overarching trust is something that we'll think oh well is that the right thing to do maybe it's not because if we do that then we will be working our people too hard and that will affect if people think that we're we're running the company for the best of everyone
0: yeah lovely and no doubt it yeah it comes with like running an organization comes with challenges no doubt in this way it (laughs) brings (laughs) it brings other challenges but it's yeah I love, I love how you.
1: But well, one of the things I think it brings is, one of the things I think it brings is, as you said, we're still feeling our way. You know, employee ownership in the in the UK at least isn't new. You've probably heard of people like John Lewis, yes. um, who have been doing it for like a hundred yeah. years. But in in our sector, because of some tax changes, has meant it's become more prevalent in the last few years. But we are still one of the first sort of agency companies that have gone through this change so there's not really any right or wrong way or much that we can use in a way of doing this we're sort of still feeling our way through it so as you say yeah there's definitely some challenges around how do we get that right so we can still move uh, and sort of act entrepreneurially and move fast but make sure that everyone feels accountable for the right decisions and those types of things. So, yeah, I haven't got all the answers, unfortunately. No, and... Maybe one day
0: I will. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure that this will evolve. If we have a similar conversation next year, your lessons, the learnings will be very different yeah. and you have other things to share. But I think the good thing is, is that all of you are so open-minded to it and you want to you experiment and you want to see how this, how, how this might evolve, right? And everybody's very much behind it, like your people are behind it and they're like rooting for this to work. And that's I think, you know, that at this stage is probably like is what you need is the key thing you need. And then, you know, you take it from there. Yeah. Lovely. So no other questions from me other than some of our rapid fire questions I will come on to in a second. But James, is there anything you wish to add to this come this part of the conversation
1: uh, no i don't think so i think you know as i say i think the most the, one of the biggest learnings for me is about how it wasn't just about the destination it was about the process of getting there and how beneficial that we went through that process with an external uh consultancy be part of that and that uh, i don't think it took us too long I think probably from start to end it was about three months. months, I think yeah, about right. I think that's not. I felt that was a a good amount of time, but you know the fact that we went through that process and got everyone involved and kept people that were day to day involved with it informed through our team meetings and other type of things. I think that's been really successful. So yeah,
0: that's really lovely to hear because one of the things that we really hope to give to the people we work with is that indeed it's not about just where you get to the end pointy destination, like a lot of the richness actually sits in that journey in, in getting there. So I'm glad yeah. that that um is one of your one of your reflections. Okay. Are you up for some rapid fire questions? Yeah. Okay. Go on. How,
1: how rapid? Well, <laughs> just one word. No, for you. no, no.
0: Well more like three words. <laughs> three words, okay, please. what three words would you use to describe the workplace culture you would like to lead?
1: Okay, I would say empowering, inclusive, and entrepreneurial.
0: And what three words would you use to define the future of work?
1: Oh gosh, right, what three words would I define the future of work? Complex is the first one.
0: (laughs) Maybe we just need one. Um,
1: Yeah. (laughs) It was just going complex. I think I'd also say it's dynamic. It's changing so much at the moment. You know, and I think, you know, post-Covid, it feels like we haven't quite worked out how businesses do business anymore. And there's a bit of work around that. So I think that that's that's constantly shifting. So yeah, I'll go with two rather than three.
0: Complex and dynamic. Okay, great. What is your most treasured spot outside of work?
1: Well, uh, definitely my favorite spot is Lake District. Okay. Um, so my parents used to run a bed and breakfast in the Lake District. So that's definitely my happy place. Mm. Um, probably in the past, I'd have said that's running in the fells on my own but I've probably changed that at the moment I've got my daughter into uh, my youngest daughter into cycling so I'm trying to get her so I think next time we go it's great to have spent some time with her nice
0: thank you well I think that brings us to the end of our episode Thank you for listening, everyone. We hoped you um, enjoyed learning about Torchbox and the journey they've been on to becoming employee owned and their journey to hone their vision, their purpose, and their values. You can find more about james and about torchbox on the linkedin page which we will link to this episode and on torchbox.com if you'd like to get more content from us please tune into our podcast for more episodes on what's happening in your culture and leadership space you can hear what's on the minds of leaders committed to change in our community and we talk about the future of work reimagining work from within is available wherever you listen to podcasts Thank yeah.